Well, hey there, Purpose Church. Thank you so much for joining us today as we slide into home in our Ask series. We only have two more weeks left of answering your questions. And today we're going to be answering the question, what is heaven actually going to be like? Many of you submitted this question and and we're going to address it today, but I want to give a little commercial for next Sunday. Pastor Glenn is going to be back here and he is going to be closing out our series with the most asked question that we received this entire series. And so I promise you, I'm not going to give you any more details other than that, but you got to be here tuning in online or in person to enjoy Pastor Glenn closing out our series. Well, this question is a really important question because I imagine many of you have asked it. Maybe you grew up in an environment where conversations about the afterlife consisted of you believed in reincarnation, or maybe you believe that there was no such thing as an afterlife. Maybe you hold one of those opinions now, or, or maybe you grew up in a Christian family where there was lots of conversation about heaven and hell, but the details are a little bit murky and, and you're sort of uncertain how the those exactly work out. Well, what I am encouraged to share with you is there's actually a lot more in the Bible about heaven than we know. And I think it's because God wired us to ask those questions. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, Solomon says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Have you ever stopped to ponder how humanity since the very beginning has been asking the question, what happens after we die? Animals don't ask this. Plants don't ask this. Humans seem to be really preoccupied with this question. Why? Well, scripture tells us it's because God put that desire in our hearts. God wired us for eternity with himself. Now, as I prepare to share a little bit about what heaven is like, I wanna be honest with you about some of the sources that I was using. First and foremost, we're using the Bible here. And like I said before, the Bible actually talks a lot about heaven. And so maybe your answer about heaven or hell has been, well, we just don't really know a whole lot about it. We'll find out later. Well, friends, the Bible actually has a lot to say about it. And let me just offer this. If you and I are going to spend eternity somewhere and the Bible talks a lot about what those places are like, it seems worthwhile for you and I to invest our time and our energy in figuring out what those places will be like and how do we make sure that we get to heaven. The other source that I'm using is Randy Alcorn's book. He wrote this phenomenal book about heaven. It's literally just called Heaven. It's huge, couple hundred pages answering so many questions. So if you're interested in this topic, make sure you pick up that book. And another book, A Place Called Heaven by Robert Jeffress. And so I'd encourage you to check out some of those resources if you want to dive deeper. But the conversation around heaven and hell It's an important one. I remember when uh, a few years ago, my wife Sarah and I were driving with our four kids. We were headed home somewhere and it was late in the evening and the younger two had fallen asleep and it was just Charlie and Brinley that were awake. And Charlie, our oldest, asked us, mom and dad, what's heaven going to be like? Well, we started kind of talking about it and referencing some Bible verses and he started asking some questions and there was some real excitement in the car about heaven. 
But you see that entire day, Brinley, and I got her permission to share the story. Brinley was just kind of feeling a little moody, a little frustrated. She just was not having a great day and seemed to just be against everything that we were trying to do. And so as the conversation went on with Charlie and his excitement grew, there was a pause in the conversation. And then all of a sudden, Brinley, she piped in and she said, well, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to the other place. As you can imagine, Sarah and I were filled with a little bit of terror, a little bit of fear. We were also like bursting at the seams with laughter because she has no idea what she's talking about at this point. And it just got us, it got us kind of realizing together that when it comes to talking about heaven or hell, we oftentimes don't even really know what it is that we are talking about. And so my hope is today that I answer the question, what is heaven actually going to be like? And then I hope I help answer for you, how do we make sure we experience it? You see, our big idea for today is this. We were made for a person and a place. You were made for a person and a place. And that person is Jesus and that place is heaven. Yes, yes, you watching or listening or tuning in, wherever you're joining us from, you were made for a relationship with Jesus and made to spend eternity with him in heaven. That is God's big game plan for your life and for my life. And during our time together, I really wanna address four questions about heaven. The first question I wanna talk about is, is heaven a real place? Number two, we'll talk about, will we have bodies in heaven? Number three, what will we do in heaven? And number four, how can I experience heaven? And friends, I just wanna say this last little disclaimer. As we talk about heaven, you need to understand that what I'm describing is the place and the experience that followers of Jesus will share in. And so first and foremost, you need to be asking yourself, are you in a relationship with Jesus and would you experience heaven? But I also want you to be asking the question, if this is what heaven is gonna be like, how should it impact the way I live now? I want to start with a Randy Alcorn quote. Randy says this, too often we've been taught that heaven is a non-physical realm, which cannot have real gardens, cities, kingdoms, buildings, banquets, or bodies. So we fail to take seriously what scripture tells us about heaven as a familiar, physical, tangible place. We're, we're going to dive into heaven in terms of it being a real place in, in three different stages. So what I want to talk about is that originally when it comes to the conversation of earth and heaven, there, there's three different stages. The first stage is the perfect earth. The second stage is fallen earth and then present heaven. And the third stage is the new heaven and the new earth. Earth. So let's first talk about the perfect earth. Let's talk about things before sin ever entered the story of the world. In Genesis chapter two, verses seven to nine, it says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. 
The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God creates this paradise, this garden of Eden for his people that he has breathed life into to live in and to experience. Sin is not a part of the story up to this point. Now, now God put a tree, the knowledge of good and evil, the, the tree in the garden so that humanity, Adam and Eve could choose whether they wanted to experience this heaven on earth, this perfect earth, or whether they wanted to go in their own direction. And the latter is what they did, which is why stage 2A, as we'll call it, is the fallen earth. It's, it's the era that we live in right now where there's a fallen earth and there's a present heaven. And, and when sin entered the story of the world, the aftermath describes what happened to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, once sin entered the story of the world, all of a sudden what used to be peace between God and humanity, all of a sudden there was brokenness. All of a sudden Adam and Eve find themselves hiding from God, afraid, wanting to distance themselves from God. And thus we live in the fallen earth. When sin entered the story of the world, we need to know that sin fractured our relationship with ourselves. The way you see you is broken and fractured because of sin. Sin also fractured our relationship with all of creation. The way we interact with other species, the way we interact with God's creation is fractured and broken because of sin. And you know this better than anyone, sin fractured your relationships with each other. If you think of the reason that you have tension or animosity or hatred or pain between you and another person, it's because of sin and then most devastatingly, sin fractured our relationship with God. And in the perfect earth, when Adam and Eve were walking with God in peace, all of a sudden there was this chasm and this distance, not God's desire, but our desire to do our own thing. It's why Peter in 2 Peter verses, or chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, it says, For by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so the reality is this fallen earth, the, the brokenness that you and I are experiencing it is not what God intended us for and it won't last forever. But one of the reason it continues to persist and we have to wrestle through the brokenness of the world that we find ourselves in is because God's desire is to win people to himself, to draw people into relationship with himself. That's why he is patient in this season. But 
not only are we living in the fallen earth era, but there is a present heaven right now, which is different than the new heaven and new earth that's to come. The, the present heaven is also talked about in scripture. And I want to talk about five qualities of this present heaven. So some of you, you've had loved ones. You've had people really close to you who love Jesus and, and have passed away. And maybe you're wondering, what are, what's going on there? What are things like right now before we all go to the new heaven and the new earth who are followers of Christ? What is the present heaven like? Well, we get a glimpse of of it in Revelation chapter 6 verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, this is before the new heaven and the new earth in John's vision that he received from the Lord. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So the first thing we learn is that when Christians die, they relocate to this present heaven. So you can be confident that those who have passed away that love Jesus, that they are in God's presence. The second thing we learn is that those in the present heaven right now, that they are intelligent, emotional, and they're able to express themselves. They called out in a loud voice, right? They called out, they're emotional. They're aware of what's going on. They're talking with God, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Verse uh, 10, again, the third big idea is that the people in present heaven right now, they are talking with God and they are learning new things, right? They call down in a loud voice again, how long, sovereign Lord? So they're asking God, God, when are you going to come back and save your people? When is Jesus going to return? So they're talking with God and they're learning things as they're in the present heaven. The fourth idea, the fourth quality of the present heaven is that those that are there are knowledgeable about earth's events. You see, they're calling out to God and saying, God, would you judge the inhabitants of the earth? They're aware of the brokenness and the sin going on in the world. So they're aware of what's going on in our lives. And then number five, we will have bodies. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. So they have a body because souls can't wear robes, bodies wear robes. It's why I think D.L. Moody said this on his deathbed, soon you will read in the newspaper that I am dead. Don't believe it for a moment. I will be more alive than ever before. So there was the perfect earth. Then there's the era we're living in right now where there's a fallen earth and a present heaven where those who love Jesus and trust him with their lives, where they are with God. But stage three is the new heaven and the new earth. And this is the climax of history. This is what you and I have to look forward to. In 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verses 16 to 18, Paul says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel angel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now notice it doesn't say that we will be in the clouds with the Lord forever. It says we will be with 
the Lord forever. You see, some of us take that verse and maybe it's one of the reasons that when you think about heaven, you're like floating on a cloud, right? Like you've got your, your, your favorite, uh, you know, Gatorade or you got your favorite snack. You got Oreos and milk and you're just kind of chilling up there. You got your lazy boy, you know, holy chair that's massaging you or whatever. And that's kind of your view of you're gonna be up in heaven in the clouds. Well, remember Paul is talking about when Jesus returns, that the Christians will be taken up. But then notice what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verses one to four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then I love this promise. This is what you and I have to look forward to in the new heaven and the new earth. When when Jesus fully redeems, restores and renews all of heaven and all of earth and they become one. This is what you and I have to look forward to. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. See, scripture is clear that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, but it also wants us to know, God wants us to know through his word that there are character traits about this new heaven and this new earth, that there is a culture that is dominant in that new heaven and that new earth, and it is one of righteousness. The word righteous or righteousness means to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. In other words, it's a place where we are in perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with one another. But that word righteousness also means justice. You see, the dominant value of heaven the dominant value of the kingdom of heaven, how God desires for you and I to live is one marked by justice. Wherever the people of God see injustice, it is counter to the new heaven and the new earth that God is designing for us. And so the culture of heaven will be one of righteousness and justice. Randy Alcorn says this, The eternal heaven will one day be centered on the new earth. And to picture it, you don't need to look up at the clouds. You simply need to look around you and imagine what all of this would be like without sin and death and suffering and corruption. I want you to just take a minute and maybe close your eyes and and imagine what would your life be like without sin? without corruption, without death or trauma or sorrow or pain. That is exactly what heaven is going to be like because heaven is very much a real 
place. Well, the second question that I want to address for us is, will we have bodies in heaven? Again, going back to the idea where we're just kind of floating around as souls. I don't know if you saw that, that new Disney movie, Soul, where the souls are kind of floating around. And by the way, the music, the jazz in that is absolutely amazing, but it kind of paints a picture of eternity that, that is different than scripture. In fact, scripture paints an even more compelling and even more beautiful picture of what eternity everlasting with Jesus is going to be like. I'll start with Randy Alcorn. Randy says this, the climax of history will be the creation of the new heaven and new earth, a resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people living with a resurrected Jesus. You see, in heaven, you will have your earthly name, you will have a new name, and you will have a renewed body. First, let's talk about the earthly name. In Matthew chapter 17, verse four, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. This is that transfiguration scene where all of a sudden Moses and Elijah and Jesus are having a conversation. And obviously Moses and Elijah have been dead for quite some time. And Peter says, I will put up three shelters, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Even though Moses and Elijah are in the present heaven, they are known by their earthly names. They remain, they continue to have those names. But then look at what it says in Revelation chapter two, verse 17. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So maybe out there you're like, I honestly don't love my name or I kind of wish I had that name or whatever. Here's what's awesome. Jesus is gonna literally give you and I a new name, one that he specifically picks out for us. And then I love this last part, that not only will we have our own name, our earthly name, not only will we have a new heavenly name that Jesus gives us, but we will have a renewed body. Look at what Job says in Job chapter 19. I know that my redeemer lives. Now, now remember, remember Job's context. He is suffering. He's got boils on his skin. He's had everything taken away from him, but it literally his, physically, his physical body is deteriorating. Maybe some of you, your bodies just don't function the way that other bodies function. Maybe you've been living with a disability for a while. Maybe there was a traumatic incident or an, or an accident or you were born that way. And, and all of a sudden I mean, you, you just think about your body, you go, it just is not functioning at its fullest capacity. And maybe that's been something that has burdened you. Maybe that's been something that's been hard for you. Listen to these words from Job, verse 26. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job says, my body is deteriorating, is giving way. It's not gonna last here on this side of eternity forever. And yet with this body, as it is renewed and restored, I will get to see God. 
Paul echoes this in Philippians chapter three, verses 20 to 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, now Paul sets this up. He says, if you're going to hold on to the promise that I'm about to remind you of in Christ, you need to hold on to the reality that your citizenship is not in your nation that you're a part of. Your citizenship is not in the political party that you are aligned with. Your citizenship is not in your job. It's not in your family. Your identity is not in any of those things. If you are a follower of Jesus, your citizenship is in heaven. Your eternal destination is the new heaven and the new earth. So holding on to that identity we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform, keyword, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our earthly bodies that are broken, that are fractured because of sin will be fully restored. John Piper in one of his books, Future Grace says, the old body will become a new body, but it will still be your body. There will be continuity. God is able to do what we cannot imagine. The resurrection is not described in terms of a totally new creation, but in terms of a change of the old creation. And so for some of you that live with a disability, that there's a part of your physical body that just doesn't function the way you'd want it to or the way other people's body functions. You need to know this, that Jesus's plan is to eventually, maybe this side of eternity, maybe through a healing, maybe through a miracle, maybe through doctors or medicine or therapy, but definitely in heaven to restore your body. What a promise that all of us can hold on to and be encouraged by. Question number three, what will we do in heaven? So we've established that heaven is a real place. We've established that we will have physical bodies, renewed bodies in heaven. The question then is, what will we do in heaven? And in heaven, we will at least do four things. Number one, we will serve Jesus. Number two, we will see Jesus. Number three, we will reign with Jesus. And number four, we will enjoy friendships that honor Jesus. Now, I think it's important to say here that sometimes when we think about heaven, the pictures that come to mind is like a glorious vacation, right? It's just kind of whatever we would want to do. Well, again, the picture of heaven is even more beautiful than that. It's even better than that. In Revelation chapter 22, verses three to five, it says, no longer will there be any curse in the new heaven and the new earth. No more curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants, you and I who are followers of Jesus, we will serve Jesus, which uh, that's just going to be such a beautiful thing. I mean, think about, think about having the opportunity to serve the God who has been breathing life into you, to serve the God who gave you eternity, to serve the God who never abandoned you, who died on the cross and rose from the dead for you, to think about having the opportunity to serve him is incredible. But not only will we serve him, they will see his face. Can we just pause here for a moment? I just can't wait to see Jesus. 
No more invisible Jesus where we don't know exactly what he totally looks like. No no more imagining. We will be able to see Jesus face to face. What a powerful moment. Have you ever missed somebody for a long amount of time and then you got to the airport and you picked them up or, or you, you drove over to where they were going to be and, and that moment of getting to see them again? I, I know this is kind of silly, but I remember even in, during coronavirus, not being able to see people's faces. And then when you have those moments where you're in safe settings and, and you can see somebody face to face, isn't that just incredible? In fact, I found myself after a long time of really not seeing a whole lot of other people, when I would see them, I would just like awkwardly stare at them. Like, did any of you do that? Where you just kind of like awkwardly stared at people? Cause it was like, wow, like a different human face. This is incredible. What can you imagine? all your life as a follower of Jesus, just wanting to see his face and then you will have that opportunity. The verse continues, and his name will be on their foreheads. Verse five, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever and ever. These are interesting words. See, the picture that scripture is painting of heaven is not just sort of lounging back on a cloud, just kind of floating around, doing whatever. The picture of heaven is you and I having purpose. You and I having significance. You and I having a part. You and I having relationship with Jesus. That's why Randy Alcorn says, we will glorify God and find joy in him as we do what he has made us to do. Serve him as resurrected beings and carry out his plan for developing a Christ-centered resurrected culture in a resurrected universe. And then later Randy says this, there will be lots to explore, things to build, relationships to develop and purposes to fulfill. And it will all be more enjoyable than any measure of happiness we have ever experienced before. Maybe you get up and you go to work and, and honestly, it's a challenge for you. You just don't love the work that you do. Scripture says that in heaven, we will love the work that we do. We will love reigning with Jesus. We will love being a part of continuing the culture of this new heaven and earth where righteousness dwells, where justice is the dominant reality. And you and I will have an opportunity to experience that. Maybe some of you have wondered, okay, What about relationships? What about marriage? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. This means for those of you that are married or that wanna be married, maybe you're engaged right now, props to you guys, that's awesome. The reality is when it talks about marriage in the Bible, it's not something that will last for all of eternity. In fact, I, I tell Sarah this when I'm really wanting to be romantic and she loves when I, when I say this, I say, babe, our marriage has an expiration date. And she, you guys, she's just like, ooh, pitter patter. I mean, she loves it, right? No, she hates hearing that. But the reality is our marriage has an expiration date. It's gonna be when we both pass away because marriage points to a far greater reality. 
In a sense, for those of you, let me give you a little marriage tip. If you're about to get married, if you're engaged, or maybe if you're married, let me remind you, your marriage is one of God's greatest tools to prepare you for eternity with himself. Yeah, yeah. God wants to use your marriage. In fact, a famous author, I think it's Gary Thomas, says that marriage was not ideally, it was not, it was not originally created for happiness. It's created for holiness, that God desires to use your spouse, to use your husband or your wife or your future husband or your future wife to make you more like Jesus, to teach you how to be selfless, to teach you how to put another's needs before your own so that you might be ready for all of eternity. And those of you that are married, you know this. When your husband or your wife is putting your needs before themselves and you're putting their needs before yourself, Isn't it amazing? In fact, the best marriages out there, and by the way, a great marriage takes a lot of hard work. The best marriages out there are one where the husband says, I'm gonna lay down my life for my wife, her needs before mine. And it's where the wife says, I'm gonna lay down my needs and I'm gonna put his before mine. That's the marriage that God desires for us to have because that is a picture of what heaven is going to be like. And friends, here's a taste of what I think heaven is going to be like. It's what the first Christians experienced. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. St. Augustine, the uh, fourth century North African theologian, he said this when talking about people who have passed away followers of Jesus. He said, we have not lost our dear ones who have departed from this life, but have merely sent them ahead of us. So we also shall depart and shall come to that life where more than ever, their dearness to us will be proportional to the closeness we shared on earth and where we shall love them without fear of parting. I remember when Sarah and I, my wife, when we were dating each other, And when we were engaged, we lived in different cities. In fact, we were long distance dating and engaged all the way up until we got married. And I remember sometimes we we would drive about two hours each to meet each other in a city right in the middle for dinner or for movie or just to talk and hang out with each other. And I remember all the pain of saying goodbye to each other. I mean, it literally felt like my chest, my heart was being ripped out of my chest as I drove back to school and as she drove back to her home. I just remember feeling this agony of, I don't want to part from you. You know, what's awesome is that fear will not be a reality in the new heaven and the new earth. The fear of separating from our family and loved ones who know Jesus, we will have an experience community. And here's what's crazy. I actually believe that in the new heaven and the new earth, we will be so close to each other that I will be, I will experience a kind of depth in friendship and in, 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 in love and care with somebody out there who's watching right now, who I've never met before and as a follower of Jesus than I ever could experience this side of heaven, even with my wife, Sarah, the kind of closeness that Sarah and I have won't even come close to the kind of closeness and friendship that we will experience in heaven as we serve 
and see and worship and love Jesus. Well, the last question is a really important one for us to end with, and it's how can I experience heaven? And this word experience is, is really important because I mean it in two different ways. First off, how can I experience heaven? We need to acknowledge that heaven, that nobody accidentally ends up in heaven or hell. In fact, we need to stop saying the phrase, God sends people to heaven or God sends people to hell. No, no, no. God invites and welcomes and calls and offers heaven to you and I. And we get to make a decision if he'll be the Lord of our lives here on earth, which means he'll be the Lord of our lives in heaven. And God doesn't send people to hell. God reluctantly and with a broken heart allows people to choose hell allows people to choose this side of eternity to have nothing to do with God, which it wouldn't make any sense for somebody this side of eternity to say, I want nothing to do with God and then to spend all of eternity with him. And so God reluctantly allows us to experience the consequences of our decisions. You see, friends, heaven will be full of people who trusted Jesus with their lives. It's why it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God didn't hate the world. God wasn't indifferent towards the world. God is not absent from your life. God loves you and loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. So heaven will be full of people who believed and trusted Jesus, who made Jesus their primary identity, who said, Jesus, you have full authority over every part of my life. No matter what that looks like, I choose to follow you. I follow you when it's really difficult. I follow you when I read the Bible and there's things that it calls me to do in there that I don't wanna do. I follow you when it doesn't make sense. I follow you. That's what heaven is gonna be full of is people who have made that decision. But I say, how can we experience heaven? Because it's not just about experiencing heaven in the future. It's about you and I choosing to make what matters to God matter to us. You see, what matters to God in heaven should matter to you on earth. So what is it that matters to God? Well, he made that plain to us in Micah chapter six, verse eight. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, what matters to God? What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? You see, do you see the connection there? To act justly where righteousness dwells in the new heaven and the new earth, where justice is the dominant culture of the new heaven and the new earth. It turns out that God is very committed to and desires that you and I would live now what heaven is ultimately gonna be like. You see, if, if what matters to God in heaven is that you and I would be in righteousness in a relationship with God and right relationships with others and that justice would be our priority, then you better believe that's God's desire for you and I here and now. It's why when Jesus was questioned about the greatest commandment, he says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, teacher, what is the greatest, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so friends, you can experience heaven one day by trusting your life to Jesus. So right now there's some of you tuning in who who you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You're not right now a follower of Christ. And you need to know that in order for you to experience this new heaven and this new earth, in order for you to experience eternity with Jesus, the only thing you gotta do is make a decision this side of heaven, this side of eternity, that he will be the Lord of your life. And so you could simply say, Jesus, I believe that you came and you died for me. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. Jesus, I wanna follow you with my life. And when you say that, and when you believe that, you become a follower of Jesus. You become a citizen of heaven. Your destiny is sealed. And now it's about you helping others to find Jesus. But maybe you're watching and and you're already in a relationship with Jesus. Well, God's desire for you is that you would love him and that you would love your neighbors and that when people see you, when they see the way you're just, the way you're honest, when they see the way you love people around you, when you love your neighbors, when they see that it would be easy for you to hate and instead you choose to love because Jesus called you to love your enemies, that they would see heaven, heaven at work in you. And it would cause them to desire Jesus and to desire to spend all of eternity with him. And so friends, that's what heaven is actually going to be like.